Welcome to the National Native Network podcast series. Today we're presenting our webinar archive, part two, Effective Strategies to Reach Patients for Colorectal Cancer Screening During COVID-19, CRC Screening Awareness Month, Implementation Strategies at the Grassroots Level. To view the webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Please enjoy our presentation. Good afternoon and good morning, everybody. My name is Joshua Hudson, and I am the Project Director for the National Native, National Native Network at the Intertribal Council of Michigan. Um, I am going to be one of the moderators today, and I'm joined also by my coworker and colleague, Beth Seeloff. Beth, did you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Good afternoon and good morning, everyone. My name is Beth Seeloff, and I am a cancer control and prevention specialist at the Intertribal Council of Michigan, and I thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Beth. So today we are doing a second part of a two-part series around colorectal cancer. And colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death among American Indians and Alaska Natives in recognition that colorectal cancer incidence is higher in the Alaskan, Northern, and Southern Plains regions compared to non-Hispanic whites. Last week, we heard from the epidemiologists who are national experts in the field of colorectal cancer and what colorectal cancer screening disparities they are seeing across the United States and the data associated with the impact of the pandemic. This week, we're taking a grassroots approach and hearing from experienced medical assistants, nurses, health educators, and public health specialists who are managing programs in the field and gaining insight on how to improve CRC screening across Indian country. So I'm going to allow each of the panelists to introduce themselves really quickly, and we'll start with Melissa Buffalo. Hello, I'm Petu Washte, Melissa Buffalo, Machiapie, Michinchanumyunke, Kanji Wakpa, Oyankena, Meskwaki, Hemantahan. Good afternoon, good morning. My name is Melissa Buffalo. I am the interim CEO with the American Indian Cancer Foundation. I am an enrolled member of the Meskwaki Nation in Iowa and a descendant from the Crow Creek and Lower Bosu tribes. Um, blessed and thankful to be here with you today and with our um, panelists. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Um, up next, Jessica Deaton, if you wanted to give a quick introduction. Hi, my name is Jessica Deaton. I am one of the nurse managers at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic and I've been over our colorectal cancer screening committee. Thank you, Jessica. And last but certainly not least, Betty Janke. Hello, my name is Betty Janke and I'm a supervisor case manager here at Bay Mills Health Center. Um, we're located in the Eastern Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I am the person that oversees the Three Fires Comprehensive Cancer Control Program. All right, thank you. Um, so up first, Melissa has a toolkit that she wants to share with us that's from the American Indian Cancer Foundation. Uh, 
Um, double checking before I begin, Beth, are we um, sharing the video? Yes, actually, Mike is going to share that video now, and then we'll talk about the toolkit. Okay. Hi, Kelly. Would you mind introducing yourself, tell us, telling us about your tribal community, and describe the setting of your clinic? Sure. My name is Kelly Hansen. I am the health educator for the Hannaville Indian community. Um, we're located in uh, Upper Michigan, um, in a rural area about 20 miles from the nearest local hospital. We currently serve a population of around 800 people and 500 of that 800 live right on the reservation. So last week we heard from IHS and some scientists, epidemiologists about the um, COVID pandemic and the effect on cancer rates. What types of efforts are you and your clinics staff focusing on during this time? Like for COVID, flu, food yeah. distribution, traditional medicines? Right now, I would say our main focus is totally on COVID. Um, we're all kind of consumed by COVID relief. So whether that's COVID or COVID contact tracing, um, getting groceries to families who have been quarantined, we've been most recently holding COVID vaccine clinics. Um, it's kind of been all hands on deck and getting help from everybody throughout the clinic. So we have a COVID nurse who is in charge of the contact tracing um, and like our social services department is in charge of getting groceries and supplies to those families who are quarantined. Um, we've, our community health workers are now manning our door because our doors to the clinic have been locked um, ever since COVID started back in March of 2020. And so um, those community health workers are screening our patients when they come in. Um, pretty much everybody's duties have kind of been altered to, to take care of COVID relief. So as I discussed last week that COVID is really impacting screening, cancer screening rates, is that the case too in Hanneville and what are the specific challenges? Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge part of our screening rates are being impacted through COVID. I think people aren't getting the message that it's still important that they have their preventative services done even though COVID's going on. Um, and because say like our doors are locked, um, and it's, it's just not a, maybe our clinic is a little less accessible. So, and we're only taking, you know, patients by appointment. And I don't think those patients are really concerned or thinking about their preventative care right now. They're in their mind, they're kind of thinking, well, I better just call the clinic if it's like a true emergency or if, you know, maybe it's COVID related. So I think there is definitely some challenges that we've seen um, having our patients continue to get our, their preventative care services since COVID started. And are there other structural barriers? Do you still have your transportation folks supporting individuals that are getting colonoscopies or has that been closed down too? Nope, that's taken a halt. Um, we are no longer offering transportation to or from our clinic for appointments or to the local hospital. So, um, patients that were relying on us for transportation, that's no longer an option. We're hoping to have that come back and um, be possible to take our patients to and from appointments, hopefully soon, um, by summertime, get some more people vaccinated. But at this point, no, transportation is not, 
not currently going. Okay. What type of strategies are you looking at to implement multi-component interventions highlighted in the um, American Indian Cancer Foundation's toolkit? In March, so, when we focus on putting a big emphasis on improving screening rates, is there is your staff working on a plan to try and have that same momentum as you did in years prior? Yeah, so we're still continuing to send out postcard reminders every month um, to those patients who are due for their colorectal cancer screening. Um, we recently switched to a different EHR system, and so our providers are getting really nice detailed um, alerts when they have a patient in their office about um, what preventative screenings they're due or overdue on. So um, they are still getting notified and talked to by their PCP. Um, and then their PCP is also talking to them about the different, you know, different ways they can have their screening done, whether that's through a fit kit, Colgard, or actually having the colonoscopy done. And then um, for those patients who do complete their colorectal cancer screenings, they receive an incentive like a gas card. And we have seen a rise in screening rates when we started to implement those incentives. And so, um, so are patients coming to the clinic to get the fit kit during a tele yeah. if they if it's recommended during a telehealth visit or a clinic visit or what kind of strategies are using to get the fit kits out. So um, our patients can grab a fit kit that day that they come in to see doctor um, and take it home and return it. Even though we're not providing transportation, say to the clinic, we will provide, um, we can provide our transport person to go and pick up a kit from someone's house and bring it back to the clinic. So that is still an option for those patients that want to do a fit kit. And so um, you're like in your situation on a remote rural tribal health center, you believe that the incentives work? I do. I think that um, knowing that if they complete the screening and that they have different options to completing the screening, that if they do that, it kind of motivates them that, hey, I'm going to get a gas card to do this. Um, we also provide gas cards to those patients who might not have the means to get to town to the local hospital which is 20 miles down the road to have a colonoscopy done so if they do run into that barrier we can help them with that too okay could you offer any words to um individuals that are in your same position either a nurse navigator health educator um like what type of experience would you like to highlight and that others should know about like and ideas and you know strategies for implementing toolkits and I would just keep pushing and make sure that the preventative screenings don't fall through the cracks and that your patients know that cancer doesn't stop just because COVID started. So um, I think too, it's really crucial that people are getting their preventative screenings done because if we have someone diagnosed with cancer, um, if they were to catch COVID, that would really wreak havoc on their health and it might be harder for them to beat it. So we have to keep pushing education and awareness and um, our clinic champions just have to keep pushing for those continued preventative screenings to happen and know that they are just as important before COVID as they are now. Great. Thank you so much, Kelly. We appreciate your time and we appreciate all your efforts in Hannibal. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, so now we're going to give the presenter back to Melissa so that Melissa can go over the toolkit. Um, in the chat, I have included a link just now, um, a link to the toolkit that you would be able to download. Also, it's available in the handouts section uh, to be downloaded in the GoToWebinar platform as well. Okay, I think is my screen sharing? Yep, we see the the beautiful first page of the toolkit. Perfect. I always get nervous when you're sharing your screen. Okay, again, just wanted to um, thank Beth and thank Kelly for being able to take time to pre-record um, a discussion. Again, health educator um, and cancer screening coordinator from Hannibal Indian Community in Michigan. So thank you for that. Um, excited to walk through this toolkit with everyone today. And the, the nice thing today that we're going to do is not only just walk through this um, advancing health systems colorectal cancer screening within American Indian and Alaska Native Communities toolkit, we're also going to take time to talk with our experts on the call. So I think it'll this just will resonate better with all of us on the call. And just again to echo what some of Kelly said of really highlighting that important piece right now to re to return to cancer screening for our tribal communities but also you know it's not even a return because you know we know how low those um, cancer screening rates are within Indian communities so it's really this push to do it safely right now so I'm excited to have this conversation with you all today um, so again just wanted to be um, thankful to the National Indian Health Board um, who were part of the making of this toolkit along with some of our authors Ann Walsick, Michelle Edelman, Lois Brown, and Sambri Shrista. So as we go through this again um, panelists and attendees feel free to put in questions. Um, Introduction, again, we know that colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death among American Indian Alaska Natives. So in recognizing, and Josh talked a little bit about it, about that higher cancer incident rate within Alaska, Northern and Southern Plain regions compared to non-Hispanic white, we really identified, a can we really, um, ACAF identifies that screening as a critical strategy to improve those health outcomes in tribal and urban communities, again, across the nation. Um, Right, and we really know that screening is the most effective way to prevent colorectal cancer. And, you know, I feel like that's gonna be repeated throughout this webinar. Um, we can't stress that enough, especially during this COVID pandemic and how do we encourage folks to do that safely. Um, and we know it's important because it helps detect cancer in the early stages. And we know there's usually no symptoms of colorectal cancer until it's too late. And again, screening saves lives by finding and removing those small clumps and polyps. Um, so getting more again into this toolkit. So the development of this toolkit was built on evidence-based interventions and lessons learned, lessons learned during the Clinical Cancer Screening Network pilot program, which was led by ACAF. The goal of this was to provide colorectal screening tools for clinic teams working within American Indian Alaska Native Health Systems. Again, that will lead to increased colorectal cancer awareness with education and support strategies, increased number of screening tools developed to support clinic policy and procedures. Third, strengthen reminder systems that support effective tracking and follow-up. And fourth, identified communication and data systems that measure that progress. 
So these goals really shape the development of a technical assistance framework that will provide culturally tailored and web-based resources to clinic teams within these um, tribal health systems. Again, the audience is intended for service providers, clinic teams, public health professionals to really implement these strategies to increase those screening rates. Um, we know that this includes, but also is not limited to, limited to, and I'm excited to get to this part where we think about those not limited to, but providers, nurses, administration, billing, community health reps, pharmacists, laboratory, public health professionals, tribal health, and traditional healers. Again, so thinking about this toolkit is not a one-size-fits-all, and we're totally aware of that and excited to have a conversation today. We know it's a training guide. We really want to initiate change to improve clinic-based cancer screening practices and screening rates. And we know that every clinic is unique um, and that they're different and their population varies. So we really wanted to use this as, for clinics to use this as a guide. Um, again, emphasizing those evidence-based interventions from community guide and how do we increase the cancer screening rates in practice, um, which again are both supported by CDC. So as we dig into this, we really broke this toolkit down by um, focus areas with each area further divided um, with corresponding strategies and steps. Um, so strategy one is leadership support. Strategy two is identifying a core clinic team. Strategy three is that checklist for colorectal cancer screening. And strategy four is develop goals to improve current colorectal cancer screening practices. And so aligning those tools with it, education and support, clinic policy and procedures, reminder systems, and again, measuring um, progress. So within these focus areas, we you know, have tools because we need to put tools in everyone's toolbox, we love that, um, are located at the, the, the end of this toolkit, which again, just to remind folks, the toolkit is in the chat, or is attached as a handout. Um, also additional resources um, are listed. And then both will we'll share our websites as well because we know how quick things change and there might even be updates to some of this um, as this was done in late 2019 and we're now into 2021. Um, so I will go through quickly strategy one and I think that's kind of where I'll pause and Beth and others will join in in a conversation. So looking at that leadership support, we know that that engagement within the health system is really that first step in pursuing a new initiative, right? We really want to secure leadership support to initiate um, clinic staff involvement, which really will help guide and will guide those roles and responsibilities to effectively implement the cancer screening initiative. We also know the importance of leadership buy-in, that that underlines the institutional importance and value of dedicating efforts um, to this initiative. So really highlighting and outlining what are those steps to achieve that leadership um, support. One, you want to bring the facts, right? We want to see what the data says that what we know is out there. As we know, American Indian Alaska Native data sometimes is misrepresented, um, maybe not available. So how can we really help bring this to light? So looking at what is the cancer burden in your region, sharing that snapshot of how cancer is impacting American Indian Alaska Natives in your area. Um, here at ACAF, we've created a cancer burden booklet that we're excited to update here soon, but you know, we do have some regional data from 2014, I believe. Looking at, again, your state and our local health department and getting um, up-to-date data there. Also, American Cancer Society is a good resource. And Beth, I forget if you had other um, resources as well that we should consider. 
Yeah, so um, I, we encourage everyone, and um, I'm sure Betty and Jessica can t uh, elaborate on this too, is um, look in your own electronic health record system, right? And look at your GIPRA, if you're reporting GIPRA, um, most of the health systems across um, Indian country do support GIPRA measures. So you do have access to that local data, right? What's going on in, in your community? Um, and then also I will post some links to um, some CDC information that provides you some county level data and state level data. And it's, you know, it's really nice. You can, re you can look at regional data but it's it's great to look at the fidelity of your electronic health records and and if you need assistance with electronic health records you can reach out to your um, vendor whether you're Greenway or Epic and you can also reach out to IHS and get support if you're using RPMS so um, we really like to use the local data because that tells the story in your community awesome thank you Beth um, and Oh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. For Oklahoma City Indian Clinic, we do um, track GIPRA very closely and utilize that to try to increase our screening rates and really see which areas of the population we're maybe missing um, when we're trying to target screener, target the patients that need screened. Um, we also do work closely with the American Cancer Society and then, of course, with ACAF. Um, and we also work with the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable um, that provides a lot of up-to-date information about what's being done on the national level. This is Betty from Bay Mills. A great tool to use, especially if you are, your electronic health system is from IHS, if it's that RPMS system, is the um, program iCare. That is a way that you can grab your local data to see where you're missing, um, where your gaps in care are related to colon screenings. Awesome, thank you all for your input. And again, seeing you know where um, some of the information is and where we can even make this um, toolkit even greater when we think about all those different resources. Um, so again, using all those resources to really highlight and bring those facts to the table when we want to you know, build leadership buy-in and support. So we know that that leadership engagement may differ across systems. Again, we know that each clinic is different from each community is different. Um, so we know that the type, amount, or strength of engagement will really determine that level of readiness to support the development of a core clinic team, really to lead that colorectal cancer initiative. Um, so the importance of really building that momentum across um, will provide opportunities for buy-in. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you want me to stop there, Beth, if we have, want to bring some questions before we go on to the second strategy. Um, yeah, this is great. I, if I could ask Betty and Jessica to kind of share some um, ways to engage leadership, because I know sometimes it can be intimidating, right? to go to the tribal health director or you know your bosses and say we really need to get staff engagement on this so if you could give some insight and some techniques on how you approach your leadership in addressing you know your cancer screening initiatives at the local level this is jessica so i think that um we're lucky here at the oklahoma city indian clinic 
that our CEO is very um, compassionate and has a has a passion for screening um, for all of our cancer measures, but she's also been personally affected in her family with colorectal cancer. So I think that if you start looking at your community, you'll see how prevalent um, the cases truly are and how much they've impacted the families and the individuals in your community. Um, it's also helpful to identify a provider champion in your medical team that really wants to kind of lead the providers in, in the efforts to increase those screening rates. Without the provider buy-in, it, it's a lot more difficult to get the leadership buy-in. Hello, this is Betty. So we are really fortunate here at Bay Mills. When I first started working here, they already had a quality improvement committee um, formed. And what this does is it takes a person from pretty much every department within the health center and it includes upper management that attends this meeting and we look at ways to improve all of our quality measures so this meeting happens at least once a month um, and we focus on not only colorectal screening but cervical screening childhood immunizations uh, depression screening and all of that stuff so i think we're really fortunate that it really doesn't take a lot of push to get leadership buy-in because it's already there. We do the same here at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic with um, the monthly quality improvement meetings as well. Thank you both. Melissa? Yep, that was awesome. Thank you ladies for sharing that and it seems energizing to hear the support and the buy-in from leadership within these clinics. Um, okay, strategy two. Now, if you look at the, um, in the appendix where the um, tools and resources are, there is a blank version of the clinic, the core clinic team, and I'm excited for this conversation as we think about maybe some of these missing pieces. But again, strategy two is to identify that core clinic team. So we know to success, successfully champion this initiative in addition to the existing demands that we all know within the clinic sitting, setting that exists, we know that the core clinic team must be identified to ensure that the colorectal cancer screening initiative can be appropriately and effectively embedded into practice. Um, so creating that team really represents the health system and we know that it's critical to reflect a representative approach to implement a new clinic process. So figure one illustrates the necessary interdepartmental engagement that should be established to effectively collaborate on a shared clinic measure. Again, here to talk about colorectal cancer screening. Um, and we wanna establish a clinic or a champion from the clinic team as the main point of contact. So this champion is typically responsible for the communication, coordination and evaluation of progress in these team-led activities. Um, champions have been in roles of clinic leadership, quality improvement managers and or healthcare providers. Um, so let me see if I can scroll in, I might, yep. So in this illustration, we have providers, nurses, traditional healers, council social workers, pharmacists, tribal health, lab, billing and referral and community health workers. Um, and I know after reviewing this and, you know, again, being able to reflect on some of the conversations that we've had with the clinics we work with at ACAF, really seeing the importance that um, 
registration plays. So I know for us is really emphasizing that as that person that captures that initial, da initial data and intake. So thinking about the importance of identifying individuals who are American Indian and that might be at these tribal or urban clinics and being able to capture that so we can more accurately have data that's representative of the community. Um, so with that, I'll kind of hand it over to Beth and some of our presenters and see as we think about the core clinic team and are there folks that are missing from this circle or maybe some um, experience expertise you have on some of these champions. Hi everyone, this is Beth and I want to talk about a little bit about the challenges of getting these core teams together as we kind of work our way through this pandemic because I know in the past you know you could have staff meetings and lunch and learns and these nice community type discussions within your health center. And I was wondering if we could ask Jessica or Betty on some strategies they're using now to um, work as a group in the clinic while everyone's managing chronic care, acute care, and COVID-19. Could you give us some ideas on how you're getting the, your collective group together to discuss these um, disparities? Most of what we're doing here at the Oklahoma City Union Clinic has been um, a lot of Zoom meetings to keep up to date on what we're doing. Um, we've implemented some new things with the pharmacy department and it's really just trying to make those changes that increase patient screenings and increase access to cancer screenings without putting too much work on any other department. Um, our, our pharmacy department's the one that gives our flu shots and our COVID shots, and so they've been um, helpful in our nursing departments identifying which patients are needing fit kits. They've been helpful to go ahead and help us get those in their hands because the patients may not be coming in for other visits. So I think really just identifying the individual that you can touch base with in each department and meeting with them with Zoom or emailing um, ideas has been helpful for us. Yeah, here at Bay Mills, we've been pretty much doing the same thing too. Um, a lot of our meetings are done via Zoom, especially if it's gonna be a large group that's that needs to gather together. Um, if it's smaller groups and we can maintain social distance while wearing our masks, then we will, you know, maybe even try and meet outside instead of in a closed room as well. And Jessica, could I um, get, amplify what you were talking about a little bit on the um, the pharmacy distributing fit kits? Is are you kind of taking that fit flu model and fit it and working it into like distribution of fit kits while distributing vaccines? We are. Um, it's something we had previously done was utilizing the flu fit model. And then we kind of got away from it because we were doing so well with getting fit kits in our patients' hands. But when the pandemic hit, we um, transitioned to a, a high number of virtual visits, but our patients still wanted to come in for their flu shots. So they've been um, getting most of their flu shots done outside in their vehicles. So it's an opportunity to keep them safe in their vehicle and provide that fit kit to them through the pharmacy that's um, administering their flu shots. Great, thank you. Thank you both, Melissa. Yeah, thank you again, um, Jessica and Betty. 
Uh, let me scroll out a bit again. So again, looking that we identified the leadership, identified the core team. So strategy three would be really moving to that checklist for increased screening or for colorectal cancer screening. Um, and so and as, as an acknowledgement of how each health system and community is unique, the checklist for increased cancer screening, again, available at the end of the toolkit, provides a comprehensive approach to addressing screening based on level of readiness and current challenges and successes. And I think that's really what we're getting at today is, you know, already knowing that the, what those barriers are within our communities, structural, understanding, you know, what are some of those struggles in the community to get, you know, our, our relatives in and screened and, you know, ready to to be preventative in their healthcare. And, and so what, it, and then what is the clinic's readiness? Cause now we are in a pandemic and it's so, again, energizing to hear that um, the clinics on this call today have really, you know, kept up with the screening and seen that as a, as a priority, um, despite, you know, some of the refocus on COVID. But, um, so we know that this checklist template can be utilized to identify that current colorectal screening practice within the health systems, again, which are evidence-based. We know that this checklist includes provider recommendations, clinic policy and procedures, reminder systems, um, measuring progress, which I think you've all talked about a little bit. We know that the checklist can also be used to measure readiness and determine appropriate strategies that are ready to implement in a clinic setting. Um, so again, just highlighting that this is a great tool to identify those baseline rates, data collection processes, and tracking system to achieve an efficient clinic flow. Um, Oftentimes, we know that our clinic systems are not at a capacity to identify baseline rates and or have a tracking system in place um, to fully determine the level of readiness to pursue those quality improvement strategies. So really being able to assess the need to support data tracking guides, clinic teams may prioritize strategies and set realistic goals. Um, I I'm going to pause there and see what questions we have as we think again about this checklist for increased colorectal cancer screening and kind of get some input from Jessica and Betty. And then Beth, if you had any specific questions. So um, as we talk about the checklist, it's like it's these are your evidence-based interventions, right? The provider recommendations and reminders, um, having clinic policies and procedures that support continuity, right, for every individual um, eligible for screening so that, the, you know, you're using the provider reminder so that when the patient comes in, the provider notes are there. You're using patient reminders so that prior to the visit, patients are being reminded about um, their screenings available and then um, the, that throughput, right, after the reminder is sent to the patient, is the clinic reaching out and making sure that the reminder was received and, if the, and, and inquire whether to, the patient is interested in getting their screening. And that's where I'd like to kind of let Jessica and Betty elaborate on their process because there is often this um, frustration that we know how to send out reminders, but we're just having a little bit of problems on managing that follow-up. So if you could share that, that would be great. So we um, previously 
really focused on reminders. We did, if a patient hadn't returned their fit kit after we had provided it to them, um, within a week, we would give them a phone call reminder. And then at two weeks, we would go ahead and send them a reminder postcard. So we had tracked our pro uh, progress with that and then tracked our progress when we removed that reminder system. We uh, actually noticed that we didn't have any changes in our return rates with the reminder system. I don't know if it's the patient population was already going to return it, and so the reminders weren't effective for them, um, but we've kind of removed them for now unless we find that at a time that our numbers are decreasing and we need to reinstitute them. But I think that that follow-up is um, very difficult to keep track of. I, we have utilized our administrative assistance to be able to assist us with that. So at Bay Mills, when it comes to patient reminders, we do a number of things. Um, you know, when a patient turns 50, I send them a birthday card that says, happy birthday, it's time to get your colon screening. Um, another method that we've done is instead of sending out fit kits or giving out fit kits at our clinic, uh, last year, I think it was last September, we looked at our lit population to see who was due for colorectal screening and if it was appropriate for them to use a Cologuard. And we just signed them all up to get Cologuards mailed to them. We did send out a letter prior letting them know, you know, we're going to send out a Cologuard. If you wish to opt out of this, give us a call, let us know, and we'll take you off the list. And then we put in orders for all of our patients to receive a Cologuard. So we submitted 103 orders at that time, and we had about a 22% return rate. And, you know, Cologuard will call them and remind them to send their fit kits back. And then they alert us and tell us that it's, you know, they haven't gotten a fit kit back from a particular patient. So we can call and remind them too. I don't find it kind of like with Oklahoma City, um, that reminder system, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Usually you'll just get a patient saying, yep, I know I have it right here. I just need to remember to do it and send it back. And I'm going to do that. And then they just never end up doing it. So. I think if you have that initial buy-in from the patient and they're interested and they're going to do it, they will either do it or they're not going to do it. But we do have several different ways of reminding our patients that they're due. So for the one thing that has kind of stopped because of COVID is I used to give our providers a weekly list based on their patients. They have a, re a reminder system in EHR where they can see if somebody's due for colorectal screening. Um, but I would look at their daily or weekly patient visits to see who's due and give them a physical reminder so that they would have to look at this paper. And that was just something, I don't know if it was easier for them or not, but since COVID has happened, my attention has been taken away. So that hasn't happened in the last few months, but it doesn't seem to have impacted our colorectal screening at this point. I think what really hit us at the beginning was when we couldn't refer out for people to have colon colonoscopies, but now that's opened back up too, so. I have a follow-up question. This is Melissa again, before we go into the last strategy and then some of these other questions. Um, so again, just exciting to hear um, how well some of these strategies are working within your clinic. What Are there any barriers that you're hearing from patients, um, you know, who get these reminders, are aware of it, are, you know, and then, 
looking at that 78% that aren't returning, are we hearing back what some of those reasons why are the barriers? For us here at the Indian Clinic or Oklahoma City Indian Clinic, um, a lot of our patients just say that they forget it. So I know I've discussed this with ACAP in the past, and I think you guys are actually working on something to help with this, um, having a little door hanger that makes it more accessible as a reminder that they can hang in the bathroom so that if they truly are forgetting it, it's a good reminder tool. Um, cost of postage was also a big deal for a lot of our patients. So we've started providing the postage so that they can return it. Um, along with transportation, that's always a, a big issue for our patients. So if we can provide the postage for them to return it, that kind of takes care of, of the transportation and the postage cost. And oh, go ahead, Betty. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just gonna say, yeah, we're pretty much the same is what we're hearing for barriers. Mostly is that they forget to do it. And I just want to remind everyone who's on the call, if if you're a comp cancer grantee or maybe you have um, a colorectal cancer grant through your state, um, under supplies, you can purchase stamps and you can purchase distinctive envelopes if you like. If you want to put a blue envelope, right, to mail out your reminders or fit kits, your supply funds can um, pay for that. And you can buy bulk mailing labels online through the post office. I mean, there are a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility you can um, have with this CDC grant funding to purchase supplies to support distribution of the fit kits and education materials. Because as you know, you know, our nice big racks in the clinics are no longer being viewed and utilized. And I think, Betty, you can elaborate a little bit on the fact that you always include education materials in your reminder letters. Is that true? Yep, that's true. So I just purchased, you know, bigger envelopes. And typically what I send out is information that comes from the American Cancer Society. They have great pamphlets that I include in a reminder letter letting them know that they're due for their screening. Thank you. Melissa? Yep. I guess I need just making sure folks know that you can chat with us in the chat box. And if there's any questions that come up, please um, be sure to ask. We'll definitely take those um, as we're going through the strategies. Okay. So there is one quick question I wanted to put in here. Um, someone asked if, uh, do you know if Cologuard is in the IHS formulary? I'm not 100% sure on that on that answer. Okay. I can say for What do you mean the IHS formulary? Um I think that that's referencing like is it able to be prescribed through the pharmacy? Because yes. the IHS formulary is the um kind of like the clearinghouse where IHS pharmacies are able to receive their um supplies from. Yes, it is. So it okay. is available. However, it is not the they would not like other um, items that are distributed through the for, uh, the pharmacy. 
this is actually mailed directly to their house. So it would go through the pharmacy system, but it is mailed directly to the patient. I can Is say that, that Guard isn't an option for us here at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic unless the patient has a private insurance and wants to go through their insurance company for that. And we can put more information out that to all attendees. Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely wrote it down on my end to follow up as well. Okay, are we ready for strategy four? Yes. Awesome, okay. So strategy four is really to develop those goals to improve um, current colorectal cancer screening practices. So again, once you review that checklist, your core clinic team will identify key goals. Again, short and long-term are amazing. What You know, you can reach those short goals and, and and celebrate those small victories and then look at, you know, what are some of those long-term goals that the clinic wants to reach again to improve these screening rates. Um, so these goals are tied to the listed evidence-based interventions that guide culturally tailored strategies, again, designed for American Indian Alaska Native health systems. As part of this process, it's important to identify existing strategies and build upon them rather than starting from scratch. Existing programs and strategies can provide a baseline and require fewer resources. So as we determine these goals, um, appropriate strategies listed in the menu can easily be identified based on the level, again, of that readiness um, of the health system. Techniques to, to reach a realistic, actionable plan can be done through this following. Practicing facilitation. So supporting improvement in primary care practice that focus to build system capacity for ongoing improvement. Um, clinic-led team. The core clinic team can identify a champion to coordinate efforts and provide practice facilitation activities that can be team-led. External consultants is another option to bring in an external consultant that specializes in quality improvement to lead practice facilitation with clinic teams. Um, for example, when partnering with ACAF, we've oftentimes offered technical assistance to support clinics and community health systems. Um, you heard Jessica talk about the door hanger. Um, super excited to get that out um, to our clinics to kind of see another way to remind and provide education to um, patients within um, clinics that we work with and partner with. Um, I believe we've also done process mapping. Um, and again, when we you know, finalized this toolkit in fall, late fall of 2019, that only gave us about six, seven months to get into some of the clinics we were partnering with at the time before COVID hit. So really seeing this as a guide and something that you know, we can look at and see where some of the updates need to be made as things do change quickly, such as a pandemic. <laughs> um, but really, you know, seeing that process mapping and being able to help a clinic, you know, identify those possible leverages and where those areas to implement strategies that may strengthen existing and or embed new processes that lead to improved efficient screening practice. Process mapping reflects the current clinic workflow to identify potential screening gaps and opportunities for clinic teams to strengthen current practices and or identify areas where improvements to the systems can be easily implemented. So looking at this action plan and determining the goal, action plans can be utilized to identify and choose evidence-based strategies to designate programs and processes to, to address the problem. So identify a tracking system and implement the tracking and implement the action plan. The component of an action plan can be detailed for staff through flowcharts and checklists. 
Um, so the Community Preventative Service Task Force findings to support cancer screenings interventions shown um, here in figure two really provides a framework to help guide process mapping for clinic teams. Um, and I'm kind of going to pause there as we let folks look at that, you know, looking at the interventions, what is the change, and then the efficacy established is to increase completed screening, early detection, what is the follow-up diagnose, um, diagnose and treatment? And then what is this? This will really help decrease that morbidity and mortality um, within our population. So with that, I'm going to ask Beth if we have questions and see where Jessica and Betty's clinics are and the work they do in the clinic. So I just, um, I'd really love to hear um, some feedback from Betty and Jessica on the importance of quality improvement and process mapping and identifying where those gaps are. And especially now in COVID, as we've transitioned from, you know, mo like probably 99% visits in the clinic to probably now 85% of the visits telehealth. So how can you kind of elaborate and emphasize how important it is to do that process mapping and maybe some tips on how to get buy-in for that. So we, um, when I started on working on colorectal cancer here at the clinic, our process map had, I think, five arrows on it. It was very, um, very simple. Now it's huge. Um, it goes on the legal size and is still really, um, honestly, a little bit too big for the legal size paper. So I think that having the everyone together that's truly involved in the process of even from handing out the fit kit to returning it to lab running it to the person that's going to write the referral if the fit kit comes back abnormal um, is really key in making sure that everything is included in it and then once it's all included in it you're able to identify those areas that can be improved or see where there's struggles where maybe nursing could do more to help out lab or another department has an idea of how things can be improved from an outside view. So we've uh, relied on our process map extensively. We haven't updated it to reflect what we're doing with COVID, but we're certainly mailing out um, fit kits now if the provider has provided that reinforcement and the patients agreed to get screened. We've gone ahead and mailed out fit kits to their house to try to get those screenings completed. One of the great things about having a process map is that you're, you, it's there, it's all outlined for you. Um, you can get a really good look at where something may be missing. And you don't, you know, once you finish a quality improvement project, you still have that process map there that you can then go back to and find another area where you can improve upon. You don't need to recreate the entire map again. You just keep revisiting and find those small little quality improvement initiatives that you can take to increase your colorectal screening scores. You know, one thing that we did, you know, a lot of it is mailing reminders to patients. So one of our initiatives that we took on was we weren't getting the patient feedback. So let's try and make it easier for them. We developed a postcard that we sent along with the patients. It was pre-stamped, so all they had to do was check a box. I want a colonoscopy, send me a fit kit, or denying, you know, I don't want to have any screening 
and then they could fold that up, put it back in the mailbox, and send it back to us. Um, so we were looking at what could make it as easy as possible to get a response from our patients. And that's the process map is great for that. Even if it's something with front desk, because when we have our sub-quality community meeting, like I said, we have a person from each area in our health department comes to this meeting. So, you know, it could be front desk is not verifying a correct address. So the person we were intending to get the reminder wasn't getting the reminder because we didn't have the correct address. So just little things like that that you can work on to improve, I think will help those quality scores go up. And I wanna um, emphasize that if you need support in process mapping, I know ACAF can support um, urban clinics and there are a number of organizations and resources um, through the National Native Network or your local intertribal council that can support you. Um, Keepitsacred.org is uh, the National Native Network site where we have national organizations that can support you in your processing, process mapping um, remotely now. They can do it via Microsoft Teams, they can do it via webinar, or even on Zoom. And so we, you can collectively do this without having to have that in-person connection at this time. Melissa? Yeah, we have about seven minutes. So I wanna see if there's any questions um, from our attendees. And then if there's any questions, Beth, we have, I know thinking about um, social media, um, communicating with other clinic staff, um, opportunities as we know March is colorectal cancer awareness month. So I'll definitely put ACAF's website um, in the chat as well as I will give my email address. You know, we do have opportunities to support um, tribal and urban clinics um, with hosting normally in-person events, but we do have opportunities to um, host our support you know community members safely during the COVID pandemic to get education out in the communities um, this is josh i wanted to share some of the questions so we do have a question asking if um would anyone be willing to share standing orders for crc screening i could share that if i could share what we use for our standing orders if i can get the email address um, I think what we could probably, um, would you be okay if we were able to share it on the National Native Network website? I think that should be fine. Okay, because we could post that up um, and it would be included in the link that would be sent to all of the attendees after the okay. fact. Um, there is another question. How do you get others excited for quality improvement efforts? Um, and then it just says, thinking about those who are already busy and will take QI on in addition to their regular duties. So I know um, here at ITC, we um, try, you know, gifts are very important and thanking people for their time is really important. And so, you know, we always, you know, you can, like the lunch and learn scenario is a little hindered now because of COVID, but you can, um, you know, extend thanks and, and, and gratitude and, 
you know, provide people information on the impact that their participation has. Like, as we discussed at the beginning of the call, you know, um, your receptionist and your admin support in the front office, the face of your clinic when that patient walks in, you know, include them. You know, people want to be part of the process. They want to support um, outcomes. So if you can show them where the disparity is and, and how you want to make these improvements, I think that can create some interest in the clinic and giving people credit for what they're doing. Like, un, you know, put bulletins in the newsletters or, you know, create these employee information um, emails that tells the contribution that people are making, you know, let it be known who's, who's really part of these processes and, you know, let them own it and be proud of their work. Jessica or Betty, did you have any um, commentary about how to get others excited for quality improvement efforts? I think that with the actions taken, at least for us, once we start making those changes with quality improvement, you start seeing the results. And that's usually motivating enough when you start seeing um, the screening rates increase. And you know that by increasing those screening rates, you're also finding cancer earlier and helping you know, overall outcomes of patients. I think that that usually is motivating enough for most of our um, employees here at the clinic. Yeah, I agree. I think Beth and Jessica said it um, perfectly uh, here at Bay Mills. People, they just want to be a part of the process and they like to see that, you know, we're trying to increase these scores and we're doing that and they're part of that process. Um, there, oh, well, there is a, a question that came early on and I wanted to wrap it in here at the end. And so it's just asking if you've used any virtual events to promote and encourage screening and also what's the source of funding for the incentives that you're offering? We haven't used any virtual events uh, beyond just Facebook. Um, we participated in some different webinars, such as this one, but our funding for any kind of incentives that we offer has been through ACAF. Most of our incentives that we offer are pretty minor. Right now, we're really focusing on giving them a face mask that talks about, don't forget to get screened, on printed on the side of it. It's just minor things that are pretty pretty small incentives, but still motivating for patients. And it also keeps them safe and healthy while they're trying to get screened. Right, and can I just add to, as we think about these incentives and kind of how they, you know, really, like she said, you know, the mask is a great way, but also thinking about the gas card they talked about um, at the beginning and, you know, really using incentives to reduce those barriers. And I think that's where a lot of grantors are going towards is how do we reduce those structural barriers? And so the gas card's a perfect example. So um, as far as live events, um, you know, we are doing, you know, we do Facebook Live, Instagram Live. Um, we have partnered um, with ACAF on um, breast cancer health and uh, breast health and breast cancer screening. 
And so you can partner with organizations. If you reach out to one of these national organizations and you tell them you wanna do an event, you need support, I'm sure they would graciously accommodate your needs. And also, you know, don't be afraid to go live on social media. You know, have someone that's excited and comfortable on social media. You can do Facebook Live from your clinic. Don't, you know, don't hesitate to do that. We have um, the Hannibal Indian community has done that. They've done it um, at um, Bay Mills discussing COVID-19. So, you know, use social media. It's a powerful tool, especially with the um, age group that we're targeting for colorectal cancer screening, the 50, 45 and older, they, you know, they're on Facebook. And so use that social media outlet, use it as a tool to support you. And we will publish um, some social media toolkits for you too. We'll put that out there for you. Yeah. And just lastly, if there's social media any is a, sorry, oh, social media oh, is a great tool and don't be afraid to make it weird. You know, um, don't be so serious when you're discussing colon cancer or any kind of cancer screenings. Make it weird. They like it and you'll capture their interest faster. Thanks, buddy. There is one other question. It's asking if the gas cards can be covered with CDC funds or is that expense on the clinic? So if you're using it to reduce structural barriers, to support transportation needs, we have used um, the grant funds to support the reduction of structural barriers. So it's not an incentive to go shopping or anything like that. It is specifically a fuel card, you know, for gas. And yeah, and if you have any questions about that, you can give us a call. We can give you the details on how to do that. And again, I just want to highlight um, before we end, we are at 301. I'll say this really fast. Just again, the importance of this, this work that we're all doing. Um, recently, the Colon Cancer Coalition released um, this data that said the number of colonoscopy, colonoscopies declined nearly 90% by mid-April compared to the same period the previous years. So again, that 90% and thinking what that, it has to be an even greater impact in Indian country. So just wanted to share that number. Well, I would like to take a moment and uh, thank all of our presenters. All of you contributed really great information. Um, and I hope that it was really helpful to all of our participants. Um, the webinar has been recorded and it will be uploaded to the National Native Network website, which is www.keepitsacred.org. To view the full webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org, and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Thank you for listening to this Webinar Archive presentation from the National Native Network.